Hello and welcome back to Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new with us, welcome, and I am so happy you found us. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so. And please give us a good rating. This really helps to get the word out. And also hit that share button. Array of Hope is involved in many aspects of film, music, and events. And this podcast gives us an outlet to tackle some deeper topics and subjects about our faith. Join us on social media where we can keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. All of the music in this podcast is created by Array of Hope. So please subscribe to us on Spotify and all the other music platforms. There are so many temptations and distractions in our world that pull us away from God. The decay of faith and morals is causing marriages to fail, separating families, and dividing an entire country. When you look at what's actually happening and what it's doing to our culture, it is the attractiveness of sin or the lack of recognizing what sin is that really pulls us toward evil and creates a distance between us and God. So what happens when you see what's happening? You affirm, yes, I'm sinning, but then you try to stop, but you can't, or there's a difficulty. Well, this difficulty is called spiritual warfare. God wants us to follow him, but there's an enemy, and I think you know that that's the devil, who is doing everything he can to make us choose anything else but God. In John 10.10, it says, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the directors of this world of darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in high places. Spiritual warfare is when you are engaged in things that you know are wrong. You try to change and fight these temptations towards sin, but it becomes a battle. It almost seems like you're fighting against supernatural powers. Yes, powers, plural. Well, you are. Hence, the spiritual warfare. So what does the church believe about angels and demons and their relationship to our world and to us? How do we defend ourselves against the wickedness and the snares of the devil? How do we fight in this spiritual warfare? Our guest today is Father James Brent, and we're going to talk about this very subject. He's an amazing Catholic priest and has a lot to say about this. So welcome to Reason for Hope, and here we go. So here we are once again with Dr. David Heideck, our Director of Theology here at Array of Hope, and we're always enjoying one another's company and, and sharing the faith. And I learn a lot, quite frankly, Dave, with uh, just having discussions with you. But today's discussion, today's topic um, is interesting, scary, and very relevant because I, I think a lot of people aren't really aware of what's going on. We're going to be talking about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. Now, Dave, it seems to me that the idea of demons, especially today, has fallen out of fashion in our church. In fact, 
I mean, there are some prominent people in the church that really suggest that the devil and demons are really just myths. I mean, just not real, right? Mm -hmm. As if they represent the reality of evil by personifying it. Interesting enough that angels are still pretty popular. (laughs) But uh, maybe people have sentimentalized the idea of angels too. So today we're going to discuss this a bit and trying to clear up some confusion around this, right? Right. So you make some really good observations. Let me say first and foremost, emphatically, that the devil is real and so are demons. I'm going to say it again. The devil is real and so are demons. My basic argument for this, by the way, is very, very straightforward. Um, If they aren't real, then we have to question whether or not Jesus is really God and not really some kind of lunatic, actually, because, Mm. because not only does he talk about the devil and demons, but he talks to them. Hmm. <laughs> like, so, like, if they don't exist and Jesus is talking to beings that don't exist, well, that's a problem. I would say that we should question our allegiance. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then this is something we accept because of our faith in Christ. I mean, think about the temptation in the desert. Jesus is, like, going back and forth with Satan in, in the temptation in the desert. Or the, the healing of the Gerasene demoniac. Um, where Jesus is addressing the demons or when the demons address him and say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God, right? So I think that this is a key place to start. You know, people who discredit the existence of demons and the devil, it's interesting, they're usually the same people who discredit Jesus's miracles. I don't know if you've ever heard these things before, but they they apply a bizarre standard to the scriptures. They basically say that that anything that may have been considered a myth or mythical prior to Christianity is ipso facto not real. It's just mythical in the Gospels. And events that seem to transcend natural laws, like the miracles, they must be symbolic, according to this weird view. By the way, um, it is generally called demythologizing, and it became very popular among biblical scholars in the 20th century. But its contemporary roots go back to the Enlightenment. You bring up really good points, um, and I think that they're true. So, Dave, what exactly does our church teach on this? Yeah, well, in first, it teaches what I was just saying, that there are devils and demons, that there are angels. Um, In fact, it's the teaching of the church that God is the creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. We say that every Sunday, right? What are the invisible creatures in heaven, (laughs) right? In the profession of faith from the Fourth Lateran Council, that's 1215, it states that God from the beginning and at once out of nothing created both orders of creatures, the spiritual and the corporeal, that is the angelic and the earthly. And then the human creature who, as it were, shares in both orders being composed of spirit and body. This very quote was used again, by the way, by the First Vatican Council. Yes, there was a First Vatican Council uh, in its Constitution on Divine Revelation, Dei Filius, and it's the clear teaching in the Catechism. An angel is a spiritual being, pure spirit, but they're an intelligence. They have an intellect, a will. They have freedom, so they're persons, but they're not body persons like human persons, Um, but they are persons. They're personal. The word angel actually refers to what they do. It translates as message. So angels have a job as God's messengers, and we often see them in that sense. Um, This is how they appear a lot in the scriptures, right? That they're always bringing a message. 
But angels are also warriors. <laughs> this is interesting. In Luke's gospel, I don't know if you remember when the angel appears to the shepherds and then with the angel appears the heavenly hosts mm -hmm. singing glory to God in the highest. The word host there actually is army. The heavenly army. Mm. An army of angels appeared to the shepherds. No wonder they were afraid. No wonder they were afraid. This is really important. Jesus refers himself to an army of angels. When he's before Pontius Pilate and he says, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, what does he say? He said, my father would send 12 legions of angels to defend me. 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. Hmm. So Jesus refers to this army of angels. And when it comes to fighting angels, of course, St. Michael the Archangel comes to our mind, that famous prayer, right? Sure. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, right? So mm -hmm. and I think that that's a great prayer, but that, that usually comes to our mind. Um, by the way, you know, the other archangels are Gabriel, and we always think about him as bringing a message or, or we see light associated with Gabriel. And then Raphael, who's always associated with healing, so, but we have a pretty romanticized view of angels. I mean, you see uh, pictures in the Hobby Lobby, you know, it's uh, it's pretty pretty light and like they're fluffy and sweet. But like, you know, the fact of the matter is in the scriptures, there's a universal response whenever angels appear, fear. In fact, the first thing the angels almost always say is, don't be afraid. Hmm. It's always fear. So these these are pretty intimidating creatures, you know, like however God gives them some form that human beings can discern, um, it's not it's not like, you know, something to cuddle up with at night. You know, mm. like it's it's a jarring thing. And so um now this is interesting. Um then there's the guardian angels. We know that prayer, right? Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom his love, love commits me, me here. here. And it's a great prayer too. Uh, but like so the scriptures say that, that every one of us has a guardian angel. In fact, Jesus himself refers to everyone having this angel that is always before the face of the Father interceding. And then we hear in the Psalms about there's a, uh, an angel that's assigned to us to protect us, um, that, that, that guards us in all of our ways. Right? And this is um, physically protect us, but also spiritually protect us and direct us to heaven. So, I mean, I think this is also another beautiful aspect of the angels is that, you know, God gives us each an angel to guide us to heaven and to protect us and to, to be um, a help to us. And yet so many of us don't even like tap into that power and grace that comes from our angels. Now, it's interesting, uh, tradition based on the scriptural testimony also lets us know about various orders of angels, a hierarchy, if you will. There's supposedly nine different kinds of angels, and they fall into three ranks. And our listeners probably have heard about the seraphim or the cherubim, and these are actually the two most exalted kinds of angels. They're in the highest rank. So, um, so St. Thomas Aquinas really elaborates on that. Mm -hmm. Well, Dave, what about the demons? I mean, we were supposed to talk about that. Yeah, the devil. The devil. Too. I know yeah. it's a weird subject, but uh, it's important to get perspective between the two because essentially the demons are angels as well, but they're bad angels, right? Right, exactly. So, and and not only that, as much as the guardian angels are trying to help us and the archangels are trying to lead us and mm. defend us, um, the bad angels are trying to do us harm and get us mm. to fall 
and they, they will our destruction, mm-hmm. led by the devil. Okay, so a few things to start. Can angels convert? The answer is no. They're spiritual beings, pure spirits, and um, they live outside of time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that enables us to have a conversion is the fact that we have the time to convert. Mm-hmm. But if we lived outside of time, we could not convert. That's why when we die, there's no more conversion. So I think that this is key because at the moment of their creation, every angel made an irrevocable choice either to serve God or not. Why? Because they were free. Mm. So they had to choose to serve. But the choice they made was a permanent choice. So that's why that frame, that famous line attributed to the devil, I will not serve, non serviam, that's where that comes from, that he would not serve. And it's thought that at his creation, the devil, who was called Lucifer, was the highest among the angels, but he chose not to serve. He chose to oppose God. In his pride, he thought that he knew better. He thought that he knew better than God. And thus he fell and became known as Satan or the devil. And other angels followed and likewise fell, though of lesser power and intelligence to him. And these are the demons. He was kicked out of heaven. The scriptures actually allude to this in a few places where um, Satan and the demons are driven out of heaven by St. Michael and the heavenly hosts. So you can see from the beginning of creation, there's a battle going on. Satan turns his sights towards the earthly and, and seeks to bring human beings who are created in the image and likeness of the God that he so despises down. Um, but his main tactic is subtlety. It says in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent was the most subtle of all the creatures the Lord God had made. And I think that the, that taps into this idea that Jesus calls Satan a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That he's always seeking to deceive us to get us to fall, to destroy us. He wants us to be deceived in order to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that deception in order to work has got to look like the truth, doesn't it? So it's got to be subtle. So he's a master at making evil look good and good look evil. I can think of, you know, areas today where this is so true, where where what it sounds like is so good. Like, you know, you get these slogans like, love is love. Right. And it sounds like, how can you argue with that? But that's just, again, a tactic, a little slight twist. Because if he doesn't make what's not good look good, we're not going to fall for it. Right. So the devil and his angels are powerful. They held the world in bondage. And it's interesting, Jesus even conceives his own mission as primarily being about ransoming our souls from the bondage to the devil, who he calls the prince of the world. So he sees his job as destroying the bonds that, that, that were ensnaring us in this slavery to Satan. Um, now, just because Jesus came and redeemed us, that doesn't mean that that we can't fall back into the slavery. And I think that that's the key. So the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We have to be vigilant. We have to guard against the lies and deceit of the evil one that he's trying to get us and that we have to have our eyes open and uh, and we have to call upon the angels to help us, to protect us, to guide us, to defend us, to illumine us so we can see the devil and his tactics. Because, you know, if you know your enemy, 
and you know the enemy's tactics, mm. you can guard against it. But going back to that demythologizing thing in the beginning, wouldn't it just be like the devil to try to convince everybody that he's just a myth? Because if he's not real, we don't guard. Mm. What's there to guard against? You don't guard against a myth. So we need to be particularly mindful of those areas in our own life where we know we're prone to falling astray. And we need to be very vigilant not to give in just even a little bit to those things. But do you have any practical um, things, uh, real-world practicality to defend ourselves from the evil forces? So prayer, I think, is a key one, but also making prudent choices about where I'm going to allow myself to go, what I'm going to allow myself to do, not do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this uh, this could come down to trying to make sure that I don't give the devil room. Mm-hmm. How many times in our own lives do we let the devil right in our living rooms? Yeah, like like all the time. Yeah, like all the time. You know, for me, uh, I, I think uh, a practical approach would be is if you feel that you're being pulled— Right. Um, to uh, if they're sacramentals, you know, use holy water, bless yourself. Or uh, once someone once told me, just pray to Our Lady, say Hail Mary, and the devil hates that. Right. And uh, it's worked. Fear for me. is the name of Mary, it, it, and it's it's worked for me a lot. And another person, another wise person, once told me, my spiritual director has said to me, you know, if you're attacked frequently, that means you're in the battle. Mm. That means that that's good. That means God is working in your life. You're doing something right to it, gain the yeah, attention. <laughs> and, and, and that means you got to toughen up. you gotta, you got to toughen up your armor. So, um, But I think that's a great point because this is the thing. The Christian life is a battle. Mm, yeah. You know, we're battling for souls, right. first and foremost our own, right? Yeah. We're battling for this, uh, to win souls for Christ, to build the kingdom of God, and— and Satan and the demons are fighting against us. And so the the more impact we're having, you can bet there's going to be spiritual attack that comes along with that. Like if you're doing good things for the Lord, you should make sure you're ready for spiritual attack. So Dave, are there uh, any areas in particular that you think our culture, our world is being attacked by the devil? Yeah, I think there's a number. I would say though that for me, I've really felt that that He's particularly attacking God's plan for life and love, for sexuality, for marriage, for the family. This is a main area of attack. I would just like to share that there is a a confraternity called the Angelic Warfare Confraternity that is associated with the Dominican Order that I belong to and have done some work for. I even wrote a book called Protecting Your Purity, help from St. Thomas Aquinas and the Angelic Warfare Confraternity. And this confraternity is dedicated to the preservation of chastity. And and it's those who belong to it commit themselves to promoting chastity in the world. Mm. And the graces that come from this confraternity are so powerful. And we're talking about needing extra defense. We're talking about needing extra strength. We're talking mm-hmm. about what can we do to defend ourselves against the attack of the enemy. The Angelic Warfare Confraternity is powerful. St. Thomas Aquinas is your patron. Our Lady of the Rosary is your patroness. Um, you know, there, there's just this special way in which you call for Jesus to share his perfect purity with you. 
and you ask for St. Thomas's intercession so that he can share his virtue of purity. He had the gift of perfect chastity Mm -hmm. with us. It's very, very profound. So I really encourage our listeners to look into that, the Angelic Warfare Confraternity. That's awesome. Well, Dave, this has been really informative. Uh, I think it's important that our listeners uh, understand the reality of the spiritual warfare that we're all confronted with today. Amen. Thanks. Hey, everybody. David Heiduck here. If you're interested in the Angelic Warfare Confraternity, I encourage you to look at my new blog on the Array of Hope website. That's arrayofhope.net slash blog. And you can learn more about this wonderful confraternity and how it can help you protect your purity. As you know, music is a big part of Array of Hope. And we're constantly releasing music on our YouTube channel and on Spotify. And this one song we released just over Easter is called Raise a Hallelujah. This is a cover of a Bethel music song. This is a great song, and I'm really excited about how the Array of Hope team performed this. There's a music video on our YouTube page, and I'd like you to check out a little excerpt of it right now. So our guest today is Father James Brent. He teaches at the Dominican House of Studies and is a prominent member of the Thomistic Institute, which exists to promote Catholic truth in our contemporary world by strengthening the intellectual formation of Christians at universities, in the church, and the wider public square, especially through the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. They also have a very impressive series of short videos on St. Thomas Aquinas called Aquinas 101. I am so excited to be with you here today, Father. Um, I have so many things I want to ask you, so many things that we want to talk about. But before we dive deep into that, I'd just like to know a little bit about you, your background, your, your, your journey as a Catholic. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in Michigan in the suburbs of Detroit, and I was born and raised in a Catholic family and went through Catholic grade school and high school. And... Um, Went through all of that in the 80s and early 90s. Um, my I grew up in a fairly strong Catholic home. We were regular mass goers. And like I said, the schools I went to were Catholic schools. But uh, I would say that the, the formation catechetically and intellectually was not sufficient to the assault that comes against our faith in our culture. Mm. And... Uh, When I went to college, I began to study philosophy. And as soon as I started to study philosophy and was exposed to the kind of the the hedonistic world of contemporary university life, or maybe Mm -hmm. university life of all times, Mm -hmm. um, it was a real uh, 
challenge to my faith, especially the arguments that secularistic and atheistic professors would raise. And I would, and I would say that I really lost my faith when I was an undergraduate. And um, for a number of years, I did not really significantly practice the faith. Wow. And when I came around, and the whole story of coming around is a kind of philosophical tale all of its own, towards the end of my senior year of college, I, um, it was, well, it was a philosophical journey to get to the point where I could embrace the faith again and begin to practice again. At that point, I had um, been accepted to graduate school and was, when I got to graduate school, I was exposed, I think you could say, to an even greater and more radical uh, series of objections to the rationality of the Catholic faith. Uh, But at that point in time, I was a little bit further down the road of my own understanding of things. I knew about Thomas Aquinas and was sort of learning the basics of Thomas Aquinas and Thomistic philosophy and theology. Uh, And so I decided to, after I got my master's degree, to, to leave that school and go to another, to finish a doctorate where I could write on St. Thomas Aquinas with people who were truly expert in his thought. So that's what I did. I went to St. Louis University where I finished my doctorate. And in, along the way, throughout all those years, more or less, depending on where I was personally, uh, I w- experienced a call to the priesthood and to religious life. And that happened, I guess you could say it kicked in uh, really when I met the Dominicans uh, mm-hmm. when I was in my first graduate school working on my master's degree, there was a parish down the street, St. Dominic's parish with some Dominican fathers there. And they were very good to me. And they had a, a marvelous kind of pastoral ministry going. And they uh, explained to me about their life and the nature of their life. And I was very drawn to what the Dominicans are and are all about the life of prayer and study as we live together, but all for the sake of preaching Mm. uh, and the proclamation of the truth. So uh, I I was drawn to the Dominican order and I I sought entrance. And in 2004, in the summer of 2004, I entered the Dominican order, our novitiate for the Eastern province of the United States in Cincinnati, Ohio, is where the novitiate was. And yeah, ever since then, it's been no looking back. Uh, the wow. Lord has really uh, blessed me in this life and in this way of life. I finished my doctorate in philosophy early on in my formation, and then I, I got another degree in theology. And, um, and then I was ordained a priest in 2010, and I then spent some time teaching at the Catholic University of America in the School of Philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then I spent some time with a fellow Dominican uh, on the road doing full-time itinerant preaching as we traveled college campuses throughout the United States. And um, we're in kind of carrying out, yeah, itinerant preaching the way that St. Dominic did, traveling one place to the next and trying to engage people. And then shortly after that, the Thomistic Institute started to develop a new kind of program. It's campus outreach program 
And so I came back to teaching in the classroom, teaching philosophy, and I now teach at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., and I um, travel a fair bit and speak and give talks for the Thomistic Institute, but I also continue to lead a lot of retreats, weekend retreats, mostly for college students and young adults. Mm-hmm. And I'm also the promoter of something called the Angelic Warfare Confraternity, right, right. which is a confraternity of the Dominican order about that helps people with chastity and purity. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that's the big picture and the short version. <laughs> okay. It seemed like you had a real desire to know and understand who God is through your intellect. Mm-hmm. You were drawn by yes. wanting to find out more. So was there yep. a mo- moment in your life where your kind of your intellect touched your heart? Well, it would be uh, difficult to describe one particular moment mm-hmm. like that because mm-hmm. um, there were many m- milestones along the way in terms of discovery mm-hmm. and of various specific philosophical thinkers and positions had a role to play along the way. But... Mm. There was a point, I would say, in the spring of my junior year when I was an undergraduate, where I was, uh, there was a particularly uh, beautiful day outside, and my, um, my old roommate and I were kind of hanging out outside at the time. And um, yeah, it was just a marvelous, beautiful spring day. And I would describe it as I received a grace. I mean, that's how I would describe it now, beautiful. where I was able to sort of understand or perceive the goodness in things that there simply must be a God. That's Mm -hmm. how I would describe it. Mm -hmm. It was a sense of an awareness of the existence of God, but it was precisely by going through the experience and the perception of the goodness of things in the world around me Mm -hmm. uh, on that particularly beautiful kind of day. And um, that was a very much a turning point where I would say that my heart was open to the, not just open to, but actually sort of adhering to mm-hmm. and affirming the reality of a transcendent principle of all things, the God who is essentially goodness itself. Mm-hmm. And that would be the moment, yes, you could say there was a connection between the head and the heart. Mm-hmm. So um, this episode is actually about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. So what does the church uh, believe about angels and demons and their relationship to our world and to us? So let's just start with the basic teachings of the church. So God created all things other than himself. This is a starting point. There's, Yeah, he's the creator of all, the creator of all things visible and invisible, we say in the creed. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the visible world in which we live, the world of nature or the world of material things around us, there's also an order of reality, which is, we can say, higher than the material natural world, but is lower than God. And in this order of reality, which is higher than the material natural world, but lower than God, there are beings who have intellect and will, and so they're capable of knowledge and love and capable of free choices and carrying out activities, even though they are not bodies. 
and they don't have bodies. So they are pure intelligences or pure spirits. And they carry out tasks and projects both in their own order, in the, in the angelic world, like they do things regarding each other. And also they carry out tasks in our order in the material natural world, uh, depending on what God commissions them to do. And if you ask the question, how do you know that, that these angels or pure spirits exist? There's two basic answers we can give. Number one, God has revealed that these things exist and they're, they're narrated all through scripture, their presence, their qualities, their actions, and the activities and missions they carry out. But also down through the centuries, different philosophers have tried to give arguments of differing degrees of forcefulness for the existence of these things. Now, when God created them, they were all good to begin with. That's a very important claim. They were all good to begin with. God offered them grace and offered them the beatific vision, and a certain number of them, we don't know exactly the number, the traditional number is one-third of them, rejected the offer of grace. They rebelled against God. They fell away, and they are forevermore and irrevocably opposed to God and to God's plans. Hmm. And those are the demons. Yeah. So the demons are wicked angels, angels that have rebelled, and they're now intent on the destruction, hmm. yeah, on opposition to God. Right. But, you know, they can't really do anything to hurt God. So the, instead, they go about attacking those who are made in the image of God, which is human beings. Whom God loves. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they, can, they try to get back at God right. by getting at us. How do we, as... Um as Catholics, you know, uh, fight or uh, protect ourselves, defend ourselves from these evil spirits. I mean, we certainly want the angels, our guardian angels, to protect us and guide us and mm-hmm. and and and, mm-hmm. and and show us where we need to go in our lives. But these these evil ones, these wicked spirits, uh, are certainly yep. uh, very pervasive in our culture today. Uh, wouldn't you say? Very much so. Yeah. This used to be kind of common knowledge among Catholics, but. I guess it's not so much anymore, and we need to talk about it. Uh, so the first thing we need to say is that the place of the demons in the world, that this is what God allows them to do, their ordinary activity is to tempt. So they're tempters. They lie. They present evil as good, and they present good as evil. And they do this by touching our imagination and inflaming passions, disordered passions, in one direction or another. So people that have been um, you know, good to you, you might become angry with or, or get stirred up to become angry with them. And likewise, people, uh, things that are bad for you, you know, food and drink and sexual activity that's disordered, they, they make it look good. They, they stir up your passions towards these things and, and they have their strategies for doing so. So that's their ordinary activity is to tempt And the way to fight is to, first of all, become vigilant about these things, to guard the gift of grace that's been given to us in our hearts, uh, in our baptism. And what the enemy does is come along and wants to get us to throw away that gift through sin. Mm. So they suggest evil courses of action to us, and they drag us into patterns of action or tempt us into patterns of action, we should say, that... uh, 
lead to deep bondages and chains where people really get stuck in patterns of sin. And so we need to be vigilant. This is one of the great virtues that the desert fathers and the monks talk about with this. And the Lord talks about, you know, he says, stay awake, watch and pray Mm. lest you fall into temptation. So watching, being on the lookout. So don't even begin the dialogue with the temptations. You know, if you even begin to dialogue with them, uh, it generally doesn't go well. Mm. And consent almost always follows in its train. Well, what, what do you mean by dialogue? In other words, you, you, you're tempted. Entertaining the temptation. En- entertaining, yeah. In entertaining. other words, you, this looks good. Really I'm thinking gonna... about it. Well, what, what are some pra- practical tips? Like I know for myself, um, when I'm tempted, when I'm lured by an evil spirit or a thought, um, I immediately yeah. just like say to Rosary, I, I ask Our Lady to, Wonderful. Uh, you know, Our Lady, you know, protect me, you know, get this thought out of my head. Or sometimes I'll even ask Jesus to come up and defend me or help me or pour graces into my heart mm-hmm. so I could withstand this temptation. And I say uh, most of the time it, 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 it really helps and, and focuses. Do you have any other tips or what would you recommend, Father? Those are all wonderful things to do. And you're definitely on the right track in terms of what the tradition tells us about all this. To first of all, realize with great humility that you and I are weak in the Mm. face of temptations. If we try to hold out with our own efforts to just get rid of these thoughts, we won't be able to hold out for very long. We do need to make efforts to turn our mind away from various things that, you know, disturb us or distract us. Right. And those efforts are like necessary, but not sufficient. So you, the other thing you mentioned is exactly right. First, you recognize I'm weak. I can't do this on my own. And second, you immediately turn to God for help. Say, Jesus, help me. God, help me. And to do so with confidence, mm. humility and confidence. Um, and then calling upon the names of Jesus and the, the Blessed Virgin Mary are classic remedies that neutralize these suggestions. You mentioned it a bit bit earlier. So there's spiritual warfare, particularly in regards to the virtue of chastity, and and that's part Mm -hmm. of your work as well. So maybe, I mean, there's a lot of young people out there that are trying to remain chaste before they're married or even within the context of of religious life. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So... Uh, In a sense, the world in which we live today, the society in which we live today, is a kind of uh, dream come true for the demons. Mm. And that's because as the way way that the the fathers of the church describe it is that they work primarily through images. Mm. How do demons or these, these pure spirits affect us when they're tempting us? The primary thing they do is put images in our in our mind. They can do that. They have the power to do that. They can't touch your will or your heart but they can touch your imagination. So imagination is very important. It's like the meeting place where these foes come to to tempt. And they try to put images in our mind that stir evil passions or disordered passions. Hmm. And they they have a kind of profile on on us and they can, they know what passions you and I are inclined towards. So if someone's Mm -hmm. prone to drinking, they'll... They'll right. put a person in that direction. If a person is prone towards anger, they'll put images of unjust causes blown out of proportion into you know, mm-hmm. someone's mind. Um, they'll, they'll, if someone's prone towards you know sins of the flesh, sins of lust, they will 
put images in a person's mind in that direction. And the whole point of using the images is to trigger disordered passions, okay? And their hope is that by triggering the disordered passion, you will consent to the sin. And so if, if now suppose that in addition to their own individual activity, there was like a whole network of like pornography. So really when people are kind of getting involved in that stuff, they're walking into a kind of diabolical hornet mm -hmm. nest in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's designed to be addictive. It's de designed to cultivate dependency, which is exactly what the demons want. And then from there, they can go on to further things like discouragement and despair. And that I think is what they're ultimately working towards. The first sin, the sin of lust is really kind of like step number one. What they're really aiming at is to sh maximally shame you so that you don't even feel like you can go to God mm -hmm. or go receive life again or despair completely of ever being a good person and a holy person. Um, yeah. So all that needs to be repudiated. Now, how do we, how do we fight all that? It's very difficult to do alone. That's why a lot of people find the angelic warfare confraternity very helpful. Mm-hmm is the number one comment we get from people who enroll is I no longer feel like I'm alone mm. in this fight because the world around us and it's, it's sexual mores can really make anyone who's striving to lead a chaste life. It can make that person seem like a freak. Mm -hmm. And so when people find out mm -hmm. there's a whole confraternity, there's like tens of thousands right. of people in this confraternity who are, who are really intent on leading a chaste and pure life and they pray for each other daily, they find it wonderful. And I get so many emails and testimonies from people saying this helps them so much. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, so how could we find out about this uh, confraternity? Well, there's the great website, angelicwarfare.org. It has everything you need on it. It's especially got a catechesis on the confraternity awesome. that explains awesome. the whole thing. Now, when people go to enroll, they receive a blessed cord and a blessed medal in honor of St. Thomas. They say that they're going to wear either the cord or the medal as continuously as they reasonably can. And there are daily prayers that they say for themselves and for one another. And so there's a sacramental and a group of people praying specifically for help in matters of chastity and purity. And again, lots of people tell me they really notice a difference. That's awesome. Well, this this has really been very helpful, Father. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing sure. with me. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of people are not aware of this battle that we're all in together, and I think creating mm -hmm. an awareness that there there are demons and forces and spiritual entities. And I think the more that uh, yeah. our church and our culture is aware of that, the better we could fight against it. Right. Well, thank you so much, Father. God bless you and your work, and uh, pray thank for us you. here at Array of Hope, and we'll continue. We always pray for our clergy and our religious here at Array of Hope every day during the chaplet. Thank so, you so uh, much. God bless you. God bless you. Well, as we come to the end of another podcast, I want to remind you to please share this with others. The more people know about our work, the more souls we could bring to Jesus to save. I want to thank all our donors and our supporters of Array of Hope who truly make this possible. 
You can become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. We also want you to stay in touch with us through our social media platforms, where we keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. There's a lot of stuff for you to check out. Also, be on the lookout for our live broadcasts on Facebook and Instagram, where we share the faith live with additional guests with our Array of Hope team. And by the way, we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 p.m., so please join us in prayer. Our guest next time is going to be Father Donald Calloway. This guy is an all-star priest. you got to check this episode out. It is so much fun and very exciting. The title of the episode is called Terror of Demons. I want to thank our co-producer, Dr. David Heideck, and our engineer, Jack Garno, for putting this all together. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.